me start the message this morning with a word of praise. Aren't you thankful for those two young men who were baptized in our fellowship this morning, their obedience to Christ? Praise the Lord for that. Also this morning over in the Hispanic ministry, I think they're baptizing one or more over there this morning in obedience to the Lord Jesus as well. And, and then I just got word here over the weekend that when we were in Mexico just a few weeks ago, uh, we were doing pastor training and just investing in leaders during the day, but at night preaching in various churches. And there was one service we were at on Wednesday night, preached God's word, preached about the life of Isaiah and gave an invitation. And literally I could not walk down from the, from the pulpit area because there were so many people at the altar praying. And I got word over the weekend that today on Sunday morning, probably just, just in a few hours from now, that 24 individuals from that service that night are being baptized in obedience to Christ this morning. So 24. So uh, our Heavenly Father is expanding his kingdom literally around the world. A number of years ago, I was pastoring a church, and one of the members, he was an orchestra director for a, a significant university, had invited Angie and me to come to one of his concerts, and so we agreed to do so. I think it was on a Thursday night, so we show up at the concert a little bit early, start at 7, so we get in our seats about 6.30, and probably about 6.55 or so, orchestra members come out, got in their seats, got in their place, and they started rehearsing and warming up. Uh, the strings were doing their things, percussion doing their things, woodwinds, brass, all of them doing their own things. And so at the time, at about 6.55, you couldn't make out any song whatsoever that they were doing because they are all just playing to their own thing. At 7 o'clock, the gentleman who invited us to come, the orchestra director, he came and stood in front of the orchestra, stood on the platform, stood on his place, and then all of a sudden as he stood there, he did this. And then he gave him the sign, and when they started playing, it was beautiful music. What made the difference in that? Leadership made the difference in that. When they were doing their own thing, you just couldn't really understand what they were even playing. But when they followed the leadership of the director, it was beautiful music for those of us who were there to enjoy the program. When you think about leadership from God's Word, what does the Bible say about leadership? How do you know if you're leading or not? You know, what kind of dangers do leaders face? And let me say this, there are many leaders in this room, many leaders here watching. When you are a leader, especially a spiritual, Christian, Christ-centered leader, servant leader, there is a bullseye on your life. Because we have an enemy, he would love to do nothing more than to bring down godly, Christ-centered leaders and destroy them. Because he knows if he can destroy the leaders then they will influence so many other people in such a negative way as well. So what does the Bible say about leadership? How do you know if you're leading? What kind of dangers do leaders face? I want to give you some insights this morning about leadership that I've learned over the years in my own life. Many of these principles you, you have heard before, but look at the first one on your outline. I want you to write these down. First, leadership is influence. When you think about leadership, leadership is influence. What does that mean? We're all influencing somebody. So there are leaders in this room. There are leaders who are watching. Your influence may be in the home. Your influence may be in your workplace. Your influence may be in school. Your influence may be here in church. But you're influential, and so leadership is influence. How are you influencing people? One of the things we know, our world is in a crisis state. Even our own city at times. And why is that? Sometimes it's because the lack of leadership in the home, the lack of influence in the home. But when you look at leadership, leadership is influence. Second principle, everything rises and falls on leadership. I've heard that principle for years in my life. 
That's why it's critical to be a leader. Again, whether you're leading in your home, in the school, your workplace, or here in church, we need godly, servant, Christ-centered leaders who are willing to lead. So everything rises and falls on leadership. I would also go on to say this. When somebody is in the leadership position, spiritual leadership, Christ-centered leadership, servant leadership, if you don't have integrity, what your leadership platform might build can be destroyed in the blink of an eye. Integrity matters when it comes to leadership. And so I might even go on to say everything rises and falls on integrity. We need to be men and women who lead, men and women of character, men and women of integrity, because what we do matters. Let's make sure we build up and not tear down. Let's make sure we keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ as we seek to be leaders. And then number three, the best place to learn leadership is at the feet of Jesus. You can learn leadership in a lot of places, seminary, conferences, conventions, books, conversations, but the best place you and I can learn spiritual godly christ-centered leadership is at the feet of the one who was a servant leader of the lord jesus christ when you look in luke chapter 10 you see the story of mary and martha do you identify more with martha or do you identify with mary martha was so busy with all the distractions that needed to happen. And the Son of God, the Savior of the world, is sitting in our house, and she is busy with all the preparations that needed to be made. But Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he had to say. And what did Jesus say? Mary's doing the wise thing. It's not going to be taken away from her. I encourage you, if you're going to lead in your home, we're going to, you're going to lead in your workplace, you're going to lead at school, you're going to lead in the fellowship of the church, make sure you spend time sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. Because leadership begins at the feet of Christ. Now, as I think about that, you say, well, who is some of history's greatest leaders? We've had great leaders, whether they be pastors, presidents, princes around the world but let me say this and I say this with full conviction I believe history's greatest leader is none other than Jesus himself Jesus is the greatest leader ever and here's why he was a servant leader in John chapter 13 the son of God the savior of the world who's going to give his life on a cross he was such a servant that he bent down with a basin of water and a towel and he washed the crusty feet of his disciples. Jesus was an incredible leader and we need to sit at his feet listening to him so that we will be servant leaders as well. And so why do I believe that Jesus is the greatest leader ever in history? And let me give you these five statements real quick and they apply to you and me as well. Number one, he cast vision. No one ever cast a greater vision than that of Jesus. And what was that vision? He was going to go to Calvary's cross. He was going to shed his blood. He was going to die on the old rugged cross, be buried in a tomb, but raised from the dead three days later. And then he was going to send back to the Father where one day Jesus, the Son of God, is coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords. No one has ever cast a greater vision than that because he was willing to die for the sins of the world. And please understand, to die for your sins and my sins. Jesus Christ paid your sin debt and my sin debt in full. He cast vision. Number two, he told stories. Jesus had this ability. He could take the complicated and do what? Make it simple. If we're not careful, we take the simple and make it complicated. 
But Jesus had a way of telling stories. He was a master of that. And if we're going to be great leaders and effective communicators of God's word, then we need to understand the value of casting vision, but also the value of telling stories. Number three, he modeled character. When you look at Jesus, people trusted him. He was trustworthy. And here's a great way to know about his character and about his trustworthiness. Guess who wanted to be around him? Little kids. When little kids want to spend time with you, there's something significant about that. And Jesus modeled character. He did what was right. He never sinned. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Number four, he equipped followers. Jesus had the ability to do what? Yes, he cast vision. He, he, he challenged people to obey him. And he equipped them, and then he sent them out. If you and I are going to be great spiritual leaders, then yes, we need to lead, we need to cast vision, we need to do all those things, but somewhere we need to be equipping other people to follow, to lead, and to be involved in the work of ministry. And so he was a great leader because it wasn't just about what he was going to do. He equipped people and then sent them out to serve, and then they came back, and they spent time together talking about what they were able to do or could not do. But Jesus equipped people to serve and to follow and to lead. And then number five is significant, and here's why he's the greatest leader. He sacrificed everything. Folks, when you and I get to the place in the Christian life and we understand the life of Jesus, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane praying for the Father's will to be done and and not his but the Father's, and we surrender his life. We see nails piercing his hands and feet on a cross. We see this crown of thorn pressed over his head and a spear piercing his side and the blood flowing from his body. When we see that, we know this. He gave everything. He sacrificed everything for you and for me. And if we're going to be the leaders that he wants us to be, then we need to be willing to sacrifice everything for him. It's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be convenient. It's not always going to be easy. But Lord Jesus, because you sacrificed everything for me, I sacrifice everything for you. What an incredible leader the Lord Jesus is. And I pray that we will understand that and then we'll apply those leadership principles in our lives. Now, from John chapter 6, I want you to look at these seven traits leaders are. And we're going to see these. Look at number one. Leaders are visionary. If you're going to be a great leader after the heart of Christ, then you need to be a visionary leader. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, where there's no vision, the people perish. Some translations say where there's no revelation, the people perish. Where do you get vision? Where do you get revelation? You get them from Jesus. And so if you're going to be a leader, a visionary leader, then you need to spend time with him and to say, what is your vision? What is your revelation? What do you want us to do? And that is critical if you're going to be a visionary leader for the glory of God and for the health of his church. Now, I'm not going to have time to explain all these this morning, but let me give you some insights. If you're going to be a visionary leader, I would just give you four challenges. They're not on the outline. Just encourage you to write these down that you need to be involved in. Number one is seek God. If you're going to be a visionary leader, seek the heart of God. Seek first his kingdom. That is the heart of a visionary leader. God, I seek you. So what is your vision? What is your revelation? What do you want us to be doing? You seek God in the midst of seeking vision. Number two, you ask questions. You ask questions. Say, God, what is current reality? What are we facing? God, what do you want to do? How do you want to lead us? What is your preferred future? What do you want us to do next? And so you ask questions. Great leaders know how to ask questions. 
And then with that, then you cast vision. You do that one-on-one conversations. You do that in small groups. You do that in major settings. But when you cast vision, here's what God wants to do. You do that again and again and again. It's a continual thing if you're a leader casting vision for where God wants to lead you, his preferred future. And then four, you just lead forward. I mean, you, you know what the vision is, the revelation is. You've asked great questions. You've cast that vision. And then as God gives favor then you lead forward in the midst of that. Let me say this morning, in reference to the faith-building proposal, we have sought the heart and the mind of God. We have been sitting at his feet, listening to him to say, Lord, what do you want to do in these facilities for the future of First Baptist Church? We've asked questions. What is our current reality? What does it cost to do this? What is it going to cost to maintain? What does this mean for us? How will we bless the next generation, not burden them? How can Jesus increase and us decrease? We've asked questions. We have cast vision. We've had listening sessions. We've had small group meetings, one-on-one meetings. We've made ourselves available to answer any questions that you might have. And as you affirm what God is doing and, and the will of God be known and obeyed, then we will lead forward after the church speaks into this process. But leaders are visionary, and that's critical. Let me give you number two. Leaders are influencers. When you look at God's word, you see in John chapter 6, Jesus was casting a vision. He saw the needs of these people. How are we going to feed all these people? He's asking his disciples. He knows what he's going to do, but he's getting their involvement in it. But leaders are also influencers. He's seeking to influence people around him, his disciples, but also the people who are hungry. They need something to eat. Jesus was a leader because he was an influencer. And so when you look at your life and you look at your life and leadership in the home, in your family. You look at leadership in the workplace or your school. You look at leadership in this church. How are you influencing other people around you? Because if you're leading, you're influencing. Here's a question. Sometimes we get a lot to say, if I'm going to be leading and I'm going to influence, what areas of life should I influence? Let me give you three of these. I can give you more, but for time's sake, let me give you three. Your influence should influence behavior. Because of your leadership, people around you should live different. They should live obedient to Christ, desire to put him first, desire to follow his will. Your leadership should influence the behavior of other people around you. Second, direction. Your leadership should influence the direction of your family, the direction of your workplace, your school, or this church. Why? Because you know God's preferred future and you're leading people in that direction. It's going to influence behavior, but also influence direction. How are you leading people to do what God wants to do? And then when I think about that, it also comes around involvement. Your leadership should mean that more people are involved in the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ. Not less people, but more people. We are to equip God's people to do works of service so that the body of Christ will be built up. So as you lead with vision and as you lead as an influencer, you should involve more people around you. Jesus asked those disciples questions. Why? He wanted them to be involved in the ministry of meeting the needs of thousands of people. So leaders are visionary. Leaders are influencers. Number three, leaders are readers. If you're going to be a great leader, then you need to learn how to read. And that's not an insult to anybody. You just need to learn how to read and have a passion for reading as well. John Wesley, one of the great preachers many, many years ago, used to ride on horseback 
circuit preacher. He would go from place to place preaching. Oftentimes, it would be documented that Wesley would ride 50 to 90 miles a day on horseback going from place to place. Can you imagine? It's, it's tough to ride in a car 50 to 90 miles. Can you imagine traveling the countryside on a horseback 50 to 90 miles a day? Wesley was known to do what? He was known to read books, read God's word, but he would also read books, quality books, as he was riding horseback. Why? He wanted to develop his soul, but also his mind. And Wesley went on to say this, and I just quote him. Wesley said, if you're in ministry and you refuse to read, then you should get out of ministry. Pretty strong word. G. Oswald Sanders in his book on spiritual leadership. Many of us in this room have read that book. Sanders makes a statement that said that a leader should read at least 30 minutes a day God's word, but also other books and resources that will develop your soul, but also your mind. Leaders are going to be readers. You read God's word. I don't want a day of my life to go by that I'm not reading the counsel of God's word. I also want to be reading books and resources and other articles. Why? Because I want my soul to be all that God wants it to be and my mind to be sharp as well. But leaders are Readers. Let me give you number four. Leaders are followers. Now, as you think about God's word, Joshua was an incredible leader, but what did he do? He followed Moses. Or you look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah was one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. What did he do? He followed the leadership of the king. Look at Timothy. Timothy was a young, young man. God was using him to, to minister to churches. And who did he follow? He followed the life of the apostle Paul. Great leaders are great followers. And so how are you following in the Christian life? Yes, we're following the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yes, there are other leaders around us. Great leaders are great followers. If you're going to know how to lead, learn how to follow. The Bible has far more to say about following than it does about leading. And so Jesus is going to give them direction. I want the people to sit down. I want you to distribute the food to them. I want you to gather the remains that are left over and put them in baskets. They are following the leadership of Jesus. Leaders are followers. Let me give you three words here. I'll go through these quickly as well. If you're going to be a great follower, one, be teachable. You and I must never lose a teachable spirit in the Christian life. Doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. Doesn't matter how long you've been in leadership. Make sure you have a teachable spirit. The Apostle Paul, near the end of his life, here he is still desiring to learn and to know more of God's ways. He never lost that teachable spirit. I pray you and I will never lose a teachable spirit. God, continue to teach me. Show me your vision. Show us your revelation. We want to remain teachable. And if you're going to be a great leader, you have to be patient as well and a follower. Because you've got to wait on God's timing. There have been opportunities that have come my way. And again, on one hand, I want to walk through that door, and then God closed the door. And as I look back, I thank God, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for that delay, because I simply was not ready to step into that leadership assignment. You have to be patient. Then the third word is supportive. If you're going to be a leader and you're going to be a great follower, somebody is leading you now. And you need to be willing to follow that person's leadership. Now, again, if that person's asking you to do something that's immoral and ethical, that's another story altogether. But if that person is leading with the heart of Christ to glorify him and to unify the church, I encourage you to be someone who is supportive and follows the leadership of what God's doing in your midst. Leaders are followers. Number five, leaders are listeners. Listeners. 
When you think about listening, uh, you and I need to be a listener in life. Be, be, quick, you know, be slow to speak, quick to listen. But here's what we find. We find Jesus knew how to listen to people. He listened to his critics. He listened to a Samaritan woman. He listened to other people. Uh, Jesus knew how to listen to people. And here's a fallacy that we have in leadership, and here's what it is. We believe at times that leaders do all the talking. That's not always true. I've been in meetings and been in rooms where some of the greatest leaders in that room often didn't say a lot because they listened to other people. Leaders are effective listeners. And if you're going to learn how to listen, let me give you three things here just to think about listening. If you're going to listen, listen to God's voice. That's why you need to be in the Word of God every day of your life. God, what do you want to say to me? How do you want me to lead? What about this decision? What is your preferred future? How do we need to see our current reality, God, in light of you? And so you lead with the idea that you're listening to the voice of God. God, what do you want to say to us? Because I want to hear you. You also listen to other people. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. You put people around you that you can ask godly biblical questions to and ask them to speak into your life. But leaders are going to listen to God's voice and listen to other people because they have insight from God. And then accountability partners put some people around you, the same gender, that they're going to be able to ask you questions. You can ask them questions. You know that these individuals love Jesus. They love you. They want you to lead effectively, be in the center of God's will and you put those people around you to say, I want guardrails and boundaries in my life. I need accountability people. Why? Because you don't have to do all the talking. You can listen as you lead. Leaders are listeners. That's why through this process, we've had numerous, numerous listening sessions. We've had one-on-one conversations. We've had small groups of people. Why? Because we don't want to just do all the talking. We want to listen in this process because leaders are Listeners. Number six, leaders are available. If you're going to be the leader that God wants you to be, you need to be available. Here Jesus was listening to his disciples. What they say? We don't have enough food to give those people some. Oh, this little boy's got some, some fish and loaves, but they're not going to go so far to feed all those people. He listened to what they were saying. Didn't derail him. Didn't stop him. Didn't mean that he wasn't going to feed those people. He had a plan in mind, and so he was asking them to be available. And here's what we see in John 6. This little boy... We don't know much about him, but I'm sure his mother that morning put him a sack lunch together, and he was out on his way, had some fish and loaves, and here he is coming into this major crowd. He sees the commotion that's going on. These people are hungry. How are they going to meet those needs? And I believe that this little boy, he surrendered his lunch to Jesus and allowed Jesus to use that to minister to thousands of people. I don't think Jesus overpowered that little boy and took his lunch. I think the little boy surrendered his lunch to Jesus, and Jesus used his availability to do incredible things in the lives of people. I encourage you, if you're going to be an influencer, a visionary leader, and you're going to be somebody that God uses in your home, in your workplace, in your school, in this church, make sure you are available for Jesus to use. If you'll be available... He'll give you the ability to do what he's asked you to do. And so if you're going to be available, let me give you a couple of things. You need to be available for spiritual development. Because if you're going to be available, he's continuing to work in your life. I want to make my life available. Lord Jesus, here I am. 
I don't ever want to stop growing. I need to develop in my relationship with him, in my knowledge, but also involvement. So God continue to develop me. Don't ever let me stop growing as a believer, as a leader in Christ. So, so are you available for spiritual development? How does he want to work in your life? And then the second thing you have to be available for, tough assignments. Every assignment he gives you and me is not going to be easy. Everybody can't serve on the islands of Hawaii. Now, some assignments he's going to give us in Christian ministry are going to be difficult. Revitalization is hard. Making hard decisions about buildings hard. But be available to say, God, what do you want to do in this hour for such a time as this? Make sure you're available to him to develop you, but to serve in tough assignments even at tough times. And then number seven, just be real. There are times in the Christian life we need to find ourselves just being real before him. Because when you look in God's word, you see the realness and the honesty and the rawness in the lives of people. You think Moses was real? There's no doubt about it. Do you think Elijah was real in his leadership? One day he's on the mountain, the next day he's in the valley. He's asking God to take his life. That is raw and real. Do you think David is real? God, I have sinned against you. I need you to restore the joy of my salvation to you. David was honest in, in God's word as we see. You look at the life of the apostle Paul, we can go after personality after personality, person after person in God's word. They were real when it comes to the work of God. Let me give you these words. One, just be honest. It's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to be honest with people around you. Here's where I'm struggling at. Here's what I sense God is doing. Here's where I'm finding challenges at. Just, just be honest, be real. Safe is the second word I would use there if you're going to be real. You need some safe people around you. Some safe people who love you. They're not going to tear you down. They're going to seek to build you up. You need some safe people where you can be honest and transparent and to say, here's what's going well, here's not what's going well. I believe in Mexico when we were there with all those pastors and leaders and wives. I think God moved in that room, that conference room. Why? Because those men and women were real. They were honest, but they felt safe in that room as well. And that would lead me to the third word is surrender. They had surrendered their lives to Jesus. And because of their realness and what, was, what he was doing in the midst of that room, they could be real and they could be honest. As we think about where we are as a church, as we think about the days ahead, he wants us to lead. That's not easy. That's not always popular. But we look in John chapter 6 and we see Jesus leading his disciples. He sees the needs of thousands of hungry people. He has a plan in mind. He involves them in what he's doing. They give excuses why it couldn't be done. And what does Jesus do? He says, here's this little boy. And the little boy surrendered his lunch. And what is Jesus? He takes it, he blesses it, and he feeds the thousands. Not just a little bit, but they ate all they wanted. And then he said to his disciples, then fill up the leftovers and put them in baskets. And it was amazing what he did. Church, we're on the verge of seeing some things only our Heavenly Father could do. And we want to give him praise for that. So I want us to bow together this morning as we pray together. And before we ever come to a time that we say, God, show us your will, show us your glory, we want to give you an opportunity today to surrender your life to Christ. In this room, I want to encourage you, if you're in this room and you're watching, 
and you've never said yes to the Lord Jesus, he will save you today. You've heard the gospel different times in this sermon, but let me say one more time. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But here's what we know. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this morning, how do you need to call on the name of the Lord? If you need us to pray with you, you need us to help you, we need us, you need us to come alongside you, we'd love to do that. Obey the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't leave this campus today still lost. Don't leave this campus wondering if you're forgiven. No, you're going to go to heaven or not. Make sure you leave today saved with assurance and confident that, yes, he's working in your life. If you need to follow the Lord Jesus in baptism like you saw, saw those two young men do today, we encourage you to step out, come forward, share that with us. We'll follow up with you and we'll schedule a date on the calendar when you can be obedient to Christ in believer's baptism. You want to join the fellowship of this church because you see God at work in this church and you want your life to continue to grow, to develop and be used of God. Walk forward this morning. Let, join the fellowship of First Baptist Church. This is a wonderful, wonderful church to be a part of because of the work and the activity of God, but also because of the love of God's people. And then this morning, God's calling you into ministry and he wants you to lead, to be an influence in your home, in your workplace, your school, here at church. Maybe in another context, he's calling you to a greater concept of ministry. We encourage you to come forward this morning as well. We'd love to pray with you. And then this morning, the altar is open. If we come through observing the Lord's Supper together and we're getting ready to take a historic vote for us as a church and you just want to come before him and make sure that you have the peace of Christ, you have the mind of Christ, and then that you have the obedience that Christ desires for you today. The invitation's open for you. Our prayer team's going to be here. Our pastoral staff's going to be here. We'd love to pray with you as we do that. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And Father, I pray today in this invitation that we sought to honor you in everything that we've been able to do today. And we pray the same in this invitation. Lord Jesus, may your Holy Spirit move in the hearts and lives of all of us. The praise will go to you as we're obedient. And Lord, it's our desire today to point people to you. And thank you for amazing grace that we could even say, Lord, I'm saved. And you saved a wretch like me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Church, let's stand together this morning as we sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Let's sing together. You come as we sing. <laughs>